but it is good to be here. A few weeks ago, I, I teach, or several months ago, I, I teach Sunday school at our church. I teach the adult Sunday school class. And um, uh, uh, I was mentioned, we, we preachers a lot of times mention about winning crowns in heaven. And she said, I've heard people talk about crowns my whole life. And she said, nobody's ever told me what those crowns were. She said, would you teach a lesson on the crowns? And so I did. And it just went over phenomenal. And so it's been a message that if God, I really enjoyed doing it and, it, and, and people that didn't know about the crowns. Now, I believe, of course, if once you're saved, you're always saved. I don't like the phrase, once saved, always saved, but I do like this phrase, if saved, always saved, <laughs> you know? And you say, well, what's the difference? Because I really don't know who's saved and who's not saved. I'll be honest with you, I, I, if you'd have let me read through the Bible and I hadn't got to Peter... I would have never figured Lot was saved, you know. I believe there were three saved people in Sodom and Gomorrah. And I believe it was Lot and his two daughters, and you wouldn't think any one of those were saved. You say, why do you believe that? Because Abraham talked to the Lord, and he was begging him to, to take the righteous out. Now, you've got to realize, if we're righteous today, we don't have any righteousness of ourselves. The righteousness that we have is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And people don't know the don't don't understand the difference in being of of getting saved and being saved. Getting saved is a whole different cat. It's the, it's like the difference of being born and living, you know. And so, uh, if you're here today, and I assume most of you here tonight are saved, you're never going to lose your salvation. But there is something you can lose. I hate it when people tell me, "Well, if I believed what you believe." I'd just live like the devil the rest of my life and do everything I wanted to do. I'm like, well, you and I look at things totally different. Number one, why would you want to do that to somebody who loves you enough to die on the cross for you? And then number two, there will be rewards in heaven. Rewards are based on something. Salvation costs you nothing. But if you want to get a reward in heaven, it's going to cost you a little bit. I hope there's no super spiritual people here. Well, all I want is heaven. That is not a true statement. Seriously, that's all. as long as I get heaven, I'll be okay. So you really think that when you get to heaven and you stand before the Lord and he does not, he's not able to tell you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He's not able to reward you. Don't you like to, do you like to reward your children when they've done something good? Doesn't that make you feel good? When Jesus has can give you nothing. Listen, the rewards are there, and they're there for a purpose. And, and spiritual people, you know what I think spiritual people want? I believe they want those rewards because that meant they serve the Lord the way they should. And so we're going to look at those rewards. Before we do that, turn with me if you would to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. I want to get you some specifics about the, the rewards, and then we'll get into the five different crowns that you can win. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, we're going to start reading in verse number 11. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 3, chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. <clears throat> Give you a second to get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 11 says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, that is salvation. My foundation is Jesus Christ. In order to destroy my salvation, you would have to destroy my foundation, and you cannot destroy my foundation. It's Jesus Christ and Him alone, you know. And so the foundation, but now what, I mean, the foundation is great. 
But God wants to, us to build upon that foundation. One of the saddest things in the world, see, years ago I lived in Hampton, Virginia. I lived out in the Chesapeake Bay area, and uh, uh, I would walk my dog a lot. And as I walked my dog, there was a place back over there where somebody cleared out the land. And I'm like, wonder what they're going to do there. They cleared it out. They made a nice little plot back there. And then they started doing some digging. And I thought, oh, I think they're going to build a house. Now, as I did carpenter work before, when I got out of high school and stuff, I've always been intrigued by it. So I walked by and I watched. Then they started laying the, they poured the concrete. And they started to put the block in. They got the foundation up. I was excited because every day I went, there was more there. And I could not wait to see what it was going to look like when it was done. But they got that foundation in and they quit building. And I, walk, I walked that for, for two years. I walked it and the weeds had grown up among. You know a foundation, it, 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 it's just not supposed to be a foundation. It's supposed to be something else. And we're supposed to build upon that a foundation. Now the Bible says in verse number 12, Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. Now this is the materials that we can use. Some of these materials are very good materials. Some, people, some of these materials are poor materials. And this is what we're building with. And in, in the analogy, in the illustration that is given here, the Bible says that now every, in verse number 13, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. Oh, so when I get to heaven and I'm going to have my rewards evaluated, the first thing that's going to happen is God's going to set them on fire. Hallelujah. <laughs> Now, there's different kinds of materials. What's going to happen to wood, hay, and stubble when it's set on fire? It's going to burn up. But the gold and silver and precious stones, those things will still be there. And so there's two kinds of works we can do. We can do works that we're going to be rewarded for, or, and we can do works that we will, we will not be rewarded for. The Bible says uh, that he's going to try every man's work of what sort they be. Uh, I mentioned today, I, I mentioned this morning, to my shame, I, I wished I was the kind of person who on Saturday said, praise God, I get to go soul winning. But I'm the person where I have to just literally make myself go. But there are some people who go soul winning to see how many people they can lead to the Lord so that they can tell you how many people they led to the Lord. <clears throat> uh, listen, I'm a little bit different. I'm not casting, but I don't want to have a soul winning contest. I'm not going to have the, the best soul winner of the year because here's the truth of the matter. Some plant, some water... But God gives the increase. And I'm not going to try to... Listen, I don't want to get to the place to where in order to win an award, I try to get somebody to say a prayer so they can say they got saved. But listen, if my goal in winning souls is to win an award, I think they might, might burn. It might be wood, hay, and stubble. I ought to be out witnessing because God commanded me to and because those souls are going to die and go to hell if they don't get saved. But we could lose our rewards. Listen... If you're a Sunday school teacher and you teach Sunday school so people will pat you on the back and be impressed with you, guess what's going to happen when that were, that's, that's wood, hay, and stubble? It will burn up. So not only is what we do important, the reason why we do it is important. And remember, we ought to do everything for what? The glory and honor of Jesus Christ. So our motive has to be pure in that. And now here's what the Bible says. It's going to be set on fire. If any man's work abide, which he hath built upon, he shall receive a reward. I like rewards. I was at work here with, uh, a few weeks ago at work. We put in a lot of fiber. And, uh, <clears throat> I mean, we put in a lot of fiber. Made our boss a lot of money. <clears throat> 
and uh, I, got my, I got my regular paycheck, and a guy dropped by and said, handed me another check. And I said, what's this? He said, it's from the boss. I said, what was it? He said, it's a $100 bonus. <laughs> you know what I said? Hallelujah. I, listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. I like rewards, and I want rewards when I get to heaven. Because, listen, not simply, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't just the $100. It was the, what did the $100 represent? The $100 said, you did a good job. Man, I, I, listen, when I do something, I want to do a good job. And, and my human nature likes to, for people to know that I did a good job. And I want to please my Savior. And so as I stand before Him, I want Him to be happy with what I've done. So, it, it, of what sort it is. The man said, if any man's work... Abide, which he had built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. You know, I can, right now, I could have these, some of these rewards. I could have these crowns, but you know I can lose them. I can't lose my salvation, but I can lose, I can, uh, lose my rewards. And, and, you know, the Bible says we're to endure to the end. Well, why do you want to endure to the end? I want my rewards. <laughs> You ever notice enduring's not fun? You know, brother, I, I appreciate Brother Miller, uh, his, his, just his testimony of going through this, this, what he's going through today. He was talking about the joy. You can have joy in a bad situation, but there's probably been a few times in this that he's endured it a little bit too, you know? You know, I, you know I, I, listen, I, my mom's scared to death I won't get my vision back. And she said, what if you don't get your vision back? I said, then I don't get my vision back. Praise God he gave me too high. <laughs> You know, now that wasn't my initial reaction. But it's the reaction as I've prayed and told, listen, if, if God for some reason does not want me to get my vision back, then I don't need my vision back. Now, do you say, well, you like it? Not 100%, but I can accept it because worse things could happen. And so we can lose our rewards. It says in, in, uh, uh, in verse number Verse number 16, know you not that you... No, I'm not even going there. So to, I want to talk to you tonight about specifically about those uh, crowns that you can win tonight and what they mean and how you can win them. Father, I pray you'd help me. I want to be conscious of time. And I pray every person in this room would listen to this message with this mindset. Am I going to win that award? Am I going to win that crown? And I pray it's the desire of every person in this room tonight that they win every crown that they can because in winning those crowns, it means we're living our life in such a way that it glorifies you and we're doing what you would have us to do. Please help us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at these crowns, not in any particular order. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9 tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9 as we look at the first crown. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. I'll give you a second to get there. <clears throat> if I can get there, I got marks. I got way, a lot of marks tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. Now you say, how does that happen? Our race is not against each other. Pastor Shelley and Pastor Miller are not racing against each other. For the one who has the most people saved. For the one who has the most people present. For the ones who run the bit. They're not doing that. The race that we run is really, it's a one-person race, and you either win or you lose. That's all it is. It's not a race against each other. And so you have a chance, that you, so run that you may obtain. Every one of us ought to be running the race that God has set before us so we can obtain whatever he's talking about here. 
And he says, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. So the very first crown you can win is what we call an incorruptible crown. An incorruptible crown. Now in a race, there are rules in a race. Several years ago, I don't remember exactly when it was, several years ago there was a marathon somewhere. And you know in a marathon, you, they, all these people run, they keep up with category, they keep up with male or female, they keep up with your age groups. I ran a 5K here a while back and I won in my class. I think I was the only one in my class. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure, but I got, the, I got the award, you know. Now, in order to win the award, guess what I had to do? I had to run the race. I had to finish the course. Now, so there was a, a marathon here a few years ago, and, and there was this big surprise. I remember I was watching the news or something came across, and they were this unknown woman had won in the women's category. She was above all other women, and she was totally unknown. And there were some well-known women runners in that race. And she, everybody was just, just amazed that this unknown person that nobody had ever heard of had run the race. And they all said that she had won for her category. And then something happened. When you run in these big races, they attach this thing to your shoe. When I ran in my 5K, they attached this thing to my shoe. And that thing makes sure you go everywhere you're supposed to go. They plugged her thing in the computer, and they found out that something happened. She got off the course, got in a vehicle, drove around the course, <laughs> waited a certain distance, and then won. And guess what she lost? She lost her crown. She lost her reward. Why? Because she did not, it was corruptible. Because she cheated in the things that she had done. Uh, in 2 Timothy uh, chapter number 2, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read a, a verse to you real quick, just one verse. 2 Timothy chapter number 2, the Bible says this in verse number 5. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. This is a, referring to a person in a, a physical contest, in, and, and you have to obey the rules. Many years ago, I did one of the stupidest things I've ever done in my life. A guy came up to me. I was in Okinawa, Japan, and a guy came up to me and said, Hey, there's a panther run coming up. Would you like to race in it? I said, What's a panther run? He said, It's a 24-hour relay race. Something right there should have told me this is not the thing for me. I said, What's a 24-hour relay race? He says, Well, we can have up to 10 people on the thing, and we all run a mile and something. I said, Oh, that sounds like fun. I don't know where that thought came from. So I joined a team of 10 people. That's the most you could have is 10. <clears throat> and 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning, we started running. We all had numbers for our team. Number one ran a mile, number two ran a mile, number three ran a mile, blah, 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 all the way to 10 ran a mile, then number one ran a mile, number two. And for 24 hours, we were going to do that. At first, I, 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 back then I really liked running long distances. I was good at running long distances. And, and so it did sound a little appealing to me. But 7 Eight, nine, ten hours later, this ceased to be fun. I thought, what have I done? Let me, let me back up a little bit. On the first lap, there was, we found out there was a hole in the track we were running on, and a guy twisted his knee and couldn't run anymore. Boom, he's booted. So now instead of running every ten, I'm running every nine. On the third mile, there was a guy who... who Come, on the third mile, I was sitting there watching. He walked in. He said, this is stupid. I'm done. I said, no, no, wait a minute. What do you mean you're done? He said, I'm not running anymore. I said, you can't do that. He said, yes, I can. 
And he walked off. So now I'm running every eight miles. I don't know, midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. I, I, I would, you, you would get done running. I would go, I laid down and, and one, one, one of those strange hours of the morning where nobody should be up, they'd come over and say, Mike, it's your turn to run. And I started to get up and I had this horrible pain in my knee. And I said, praise the Lord. They called the medic. I said, hallelujah. The medic came and, and he looked at it and he said, oh, you got some puffiness there. And he poked on this spot in my knee. He said, does that hurt? I said, oh, yeah, it hurts bad. He said, that's your meniscus. I didn't even know I had a meniscus until that day. And I said, that means I probably should quit, don't it? He said, oh, no, it'll be okay. He said, it'll be tender on your first lap, but after that, it'll loosen up and you'll feel okay. And he was right. I, it was a, a quarter-mile track, so I'd run four laps. I, I, I ran the first lap, and, man, it felt good. So finished them next three laps. I went back over, laid down. They come to wake me up again, and I started to get up. And guess what? My knee hurt again. I said, you said it would go away. He said, oh, it's going to come back every lap. You're going to have to run. It was horrible. I ran 19 miles that night. And you know what I won? I won a t-shirt that said, I survived the Panther run. <laughs> you know who didn't get the t-shirt? The guy who got hurt. I felt sorry for him. But the guy who walked off didn't get the t-shirt. Didn't get it because they didn't finish the race. Now that's a humorous illustration. But it is so important because if we don't run our race, we will not win this. And we, you have to follow the rules. Can I ask you a question? Who gets to set the rules? God does. And he's given us those rules in the word of God. Do you know there are people, there are churches today that those people are not going to win the war? They may have more people, but they're not following the rules. They're using ungodly things to get people to come to church. That is not going by the rules. That is an, a corruptible crown, and they're getting their rewards on, on this earth. And if they would just follow the rules, we'll get that incorruptible crown. I hope today that you have a desire to win that incorruptible crown. But it's you obeying the word of God. It's you doing what God would have you to do, the incorruptible crown. Number two, there is the crown of rejoicing. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2 tonight. Let's look at this second crown, the incorruptible crown. 1 Thessalonians chapter, and I'm not the, the crown of rejoicing. This to me, now this is a little different, and if your pastor disagrees with me, you agree with your pastor, okay? And Brother Miller, if you disagree with me, I'd love for you to tell me on that, but this is, this is my opinion. 1 Corinthians chapter number, or 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2 and in verse number 19. Notice what the Apostle Paul says as he's writing to the church at Thessalonica. He said, for what is our joy or hope or crown of rejoicing? What is the question? What is our crown of rejoicing? Notice what the Apostle Paul says. Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and our joy. Now I believe all these, I believe all these crowns are literal crowns except for this one. This one's even better. This one are the people that we had a hand in leading to the Lord. I believe that is our crown of rejoicing. Are not even ye? That means, let me tell you, the, you know, I hope everyone here, everyone here has led somebody to the Lord. It's the greatest thing in the world. When, when we got, we started going, I started going to church in 1987. I didn't know sick them about nothing. I went to church with a Bible 
I know the first time I went to church, I didn't even have a Bible because the church I was raised in, we didn't use Bibles. We just did what the priest told us to do. But everybody had a Bible, and the preacher said, you ought to all have a Bible. So we went out Sunday afternoon, me and my wife, and we bought Bibles. I was so proud of my Bible. I came in that night with this brand spanking new Bible. I still don't know Sikkim. And in our message that night, the preacher was talking about how important it was to have the King James Version Bible. I didn't have that one. <laughs> I walked out with my Bible <laughs> hid under my coat. I didn't know why the King James Bible was important, but I do now. I'm a King James Bible person now. I know exactly why I believe it. But So I, we went out again. We bought us those there King James Version Bibles. Went to church not long after that, and the preacher was talking about the New Testament and the Old Testament. I asked somebody, am I supposed to have two Bibles? I didn't know what it was. But we started growing in the Lord, and our preacher, whatever he told us to do, I just did it. I didn't know any better. And he told one night, he said, you know, you need to go soul winning. I had a friend of mine sitting beside me, Bill Roth was his name. I said, hey, Bill, what is soul winning? He said, it's when they go out and knock on doors and tell people how to get saved. I said, do you do that? He said, no, but I'm supposed to. I said, what do you say we just do it? He said, it sounds good to me. Now, we showed up. It was Thursday night, 7 o'clock. We showed up Thursday night, 7 o'clock, walked in church about, you know, a few minutes early, and the preacher said, what are you all doing here? He said, we're going out there soul winning. He said, nobody ever shows up for that. Well, what are we supposed to do? He said, well, let me give you some cards. We'll give you some cards of people who have visited. You can go soul winning. So he gave us these cards, and, and we went to the first house, knocked on the door. Somebody came and said, hey, I'm Mike Evans. This is Bill Roth. We're out visiting from Victory Baptist Church, and, and uh, you visited our church. And that guy said, no, I don't think we visited your church. Said, well, we got a visitor's card you filled out here. He says, well, I think that's all right. I think we filled that card out. He said, hey, honey. Did we ever visit Victory Baptist Church? She said, yeah, I think it's about three years ago. <laughs> We're a little late. And so me and Bill thought, man, because we, then we looked at the date. There was a date on it. It had been about three years ago. So it was very unorganized. So me and Bill said, we, we, there was this area over by where I lived. It was a huge area, lots of houses. And Bill and I said, We're just, we'll just go knock on doors. Now, we don't know nothing. The first door we go to, we actually flipped a coin. To see who knocked first. <laughs> I won, so Bill had to knock first, you know. <laughs> and we walked up to that door, and Bill knocked like this. I said, that ain't going to work, and I knocked for him. And then I stood back. People come to the door, and Bill splittered and spurred. And the next house we went to, and it was my turn, I remember walking up to that door, and that door kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I walked up to that door, and I knocked like this. And Bill said, oh, yeah, right. And then he beat on that door. But we got, we got to where we were knocking on doors. We got to where we were talking to people. And one night, I told Bill, I said, Bill, God really let me witness to a guy in work today. And I said, I think he almost got saved. I won't go into the whole story about that. But I said, instead of knocking on doors tonight, I said, would you mind if we went and visited this guy? His name was uh, Charles Spear. We called him Chuck. He said, no, we agreed to go door knocking. I said, Bill, I really believe we did the will of God for us to go there. I said, he's real close. Oh, we're going door knocking. So I said, is there any way? He said, now, listen, I know you're going to think I'm lying, but here's what he said. If it's raining when we get to over there, we'll go to his house. It's the sun shining as bright as it is right now. And, and we're driving. I said, I'm trying to talk him into going. No, if it's raining, 
God is my witness. We pulled up on that street, and all of a sudden, it started raining with the sun still out. No cloud anywhere. <laughs> I mean, I've seen that a few times in my life, but, but it started raining. Bill looked at me and said, I think we better go see your buddy. So we drove all the way across town. Actually, we drove to another town. He lived in these big apartments right on the bay. And we went in that night, and we started sharing the gospel with, with Charles Field. And it wasn't long, and he bowed his head, and he started praying. And as we were getting there, it started to cloud up. There was a storm coming off that bay. It started to cloud up, but we didn't know it because we was in that building. And, and God is my witness. When, when, when he, got, he, got, he prayed the, the sinner's prayer, asked God to save him, and he said, in Jesus' name, amen. And there was this huge thunderclap, and the whole building shook. And Chuck Fear raised his head and looked at us and says, does that happen every time somebody gets saved? We said, we don't know. You're the first person. <laughs> but you know what? I have no idea where Chuck Fear is today. But he's the first person that I had a hand in leading to the Lord. And when I get to heaven, he'll be there. He, I didn't know it when we went to him at that time. I didn't know it, but him and his wife was separated. That night after he got saved, he didn't show up in church on Sunday. broke my heart. I couldn't find him. I went and found him at work on Monday. He came in late, looked horrible. I said, Chuck, I really thought, to be, I just thought he'd been out on a drunk. I said, Chuck, you look horrible. I said, you been drinking? He said, no. He said, I know you didn't know it, but me and my wife was separated, and she had our daughter in Indiana. He said, after you left, I felt like I, I just needed to put my family back together. Right after we left, he packed his car, drove to Indiana, and got his wife and family and drove back. A few weeks later, we were in church, and the preacher gave the invitation, and his wife walked in and received the Lord Jesus Christ. When we left that church to go to Bible college, him and her were teaching a Sunday school class. Wow, what a crown of rejoicing. Somebody that when I get to heaven, that will be, I believe that will be my crown for my part in that. I, I, I love salvation stories. Some of them are just the most unique things in the world. I went to visit a couple that was in our town in Florida, Illinois. Hadn't been there long. This, the lady was coming to the church and the husband wasn't. And I went to visit them one night. Actually, I'd set up an appointment because I said, I'd really like to come to you and talk to you about salvation. And, um, and they agreed to let me come. The plan was we were going to go over salvation. And so I got there that night. And it was kind of dusky, getting close to dark at 7 o'clock time of the year. And I went in, and I made just a little bit of small talk. And I said, well, you know I'm here tonight to tell you about salvation. And, I said, and, and about that time, the lights went off. It was so dark, I could not see my Bible. And I said, well, I said, I can come back. I said, but I have these verses memorized. If you'd be all right, I'd just quote the verses for you. And she immediately said, would you mind quoting the verses? So I went through, and they, they asked questions. We went through it very slowly. We came to the end. I said, do you understand? They said, we understand. I said, would you like to be saved? And, and they, they did. They said they wanted to get saved. And I said, well, let's do this. I said, Dale, you're going to be the leader of your home, spiritual leader. So why don't you pray first? We got down on our knees, and Dale asked the Lord Jesus Christ to save him. And then Courtney prayed. And as soon as she got done, she reached over, and she hugged Dale. And she said, I'm so glad we did this together. I felt like hugging them both and saying, I'm so glad we did this together. And the lights came on. Just when it got finished, the lights came on. And I was like, I said, man, I cannot believe that. And Courtney said, I'm so glad that the lights went on. 
She said, I don't like to cry in front of people, and I've cried all night tonight. I don't think I'd have gotten saved if the lights wouldn't have went on. I'm telling you, there's something. There, now, every salvation story doesn't have all of these. But if you'll go out there and you'll try to win some to the Lord, you'll have some amazing stories. I have several other stories that I could share, but I'm not going to do that. In Luke chapter number 15, verse number 7, we won't turn there. You're familiar with the verse. The Bible says there's rejoicing in heaven over one soul that gets saved. I preached that funeral on Friday, and I shared the gospel with that crowd, and I'll guarantee you there were people there that weren't saved. And I told them people, I said, if, if Miss Tammy was saved, if you get saved today, what do you think she's going to be doing in heaven? And I showed them that verse and said she will be rejoicing. So we have the, uh, the incorruptible crown. We have the crown of rejoicing. Then we have the crown of righteousness. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter number 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. The crown of righteousness. What is righteousness? It's just doing the right thing. Doing the right thing. And, and we can win a crown of righteousness. Look at what the Bible says. The Apostle Paul, of course, this is the last chapter of the last book he was going to write. He knew that he was going to be put to death. And so as he's writing to young Timothy, he's sharing with him things that are so important. And in verse number 8, he says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, because of this, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Now, if you just stop right there, you would think that the Apostle Paul was going to win a crown of righteousness because he had fought a good fight, because he had finished his court, and he kept the faith. But let me ask you, what was his motivation for doing that? He says, Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me, at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Do you know why the Apostle Paul was able to do those three things? It was because he lived his life in such a way that he was looking for Jesus Christ to come back. He was living in the presence of God 24 hours a day. That's what you and I need to do. If we live in the presence of God 24 hours a day, and can I tell you, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing, you are in the presence of God. I heard a story years ago about a man and his son that was out piddling around. They were going to walk through the woods. And they parked their car and they got off and to walk through the woods. And as they walked out there, they came across a place where a, somebody was cutting up firewood. They had, wood, they had trees on the ground. They had some wood cut up. And there was a stump over there. And sunk into that stump was a brand spanking new double-bitted axe. The dad looked around. Nobody was looking. He grabbed that axe out. He grabbed his son's hand and said, let's go back to the car. And this boy said, Dad, Dad. He said, shh, shh be quiet, be quiet. Going back, Dad, Dad, shh, shh, be quiet. All the way back. Threw the, the axe in the trunk, shut the door, got in the car, driving off. He said, now, what did you want to say? He said, Dad, I just wanted to ask you, isn't God looking? You know what? God was looking, wasn't he? What if you and I lived in such a way that we asked ourselves that question before we did anything? Is God looking? When Jesus come, will I be able to... Will I be able to look at him will I be, or will I be ashamed when he's coming? Not ashamed of him, but ashamed of me. If we could learn to live every day looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, it would change the way that we live. And, and, and because we live that way, we could win this crown of righteousness. Doing right, not because we think we're better than anybody else, not because uh, we're more holy than everybody else, just simply because like a child... We just don't want to get caught with our hand in the cookie jar 
because somebody might walk in and that somebody might be God. So that crown of righteousness. You know what? In First Timothy, or Second Timothy chapter number 4, the Bible says there uh, in verse number 10, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. I personally believe that Demas was saved. In one place, Paul calls him a fellow laborer. I believe he backslid away from God. And he did not get that reward. Because the things of the world meant more to him than the things of God. Because he wasn't loving the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with you would to Revelations chapter number 2 and James chapter number 1. This crown is mentioned twice. This crown is mentioned twice. I want to look at both of them. Because um, I think some people misinterpret this crown. <clears throat> In James chapter number 1, if you only go to James chapter number 1, this crown would be very limited. James chapter number 1 and verse number 12, the Bible says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord had promised to them that love him. Now look over to Revelation chapter number 2 in verse number 10. The Bible says, uh, verse, chapter number 2, verse number 10, For none of these things which thou shalt suffer, behold, the devil shall cast some of you in prison, that ye may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. And be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Some people call this the martyr's crown. It's called the crown of life. I don't believe just martyrs are going to get this crown. In, in uh, Revelation chapter number 2, look at what it says here. Fear none of these things that thou shalt suffer. The devil shall cast some of you into prison. Are you willing to go to prison for the Lord? <clears throat> I used to preach all the time. One of these days, preachers are going to prison. I actually thought it would be after me. But now, we don't know. Brother, Brother Randy was talking about that man over in Canada that they threw into prison for preaching. It, it, it could happen in America in just a minute. I've never known if I was willing to go to prison. I always hoped I would be. You know, I always had a fear I'd be like Peter. Oh, Lord, these others, they may desert you, but not me. I believe Peter was very sincere when he prayed that, when he told that. I believe he thought he would not do it. I never knew. I always wanted, Am I willing to die for him? I don't know if, we'll ever, if we could ever truly know that. I would rather be cautious about it, until it ha and then find out when it happens, rather to get up and thunder like Peter did. That's just me personally. But I didn't know if I was willing to go to prison. And then COVID hit. And I could not get any peace about closing the church. I'm, I'm like Brother Miller. Whether or not you want to come to church or not is between you and the good Lord. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to embarrass people. I wasn't trying to do that. I just kept the church open, and we didn't have very many coming. Here's the interesting thing. Most of the people were coming were the people who you thought would have stayed home, you know. <clears throat> but they were, and I just felt like, for me personally, and I'm, I'm, listen, now understand, our situation was a little different than some places. We had zero cases of COVID-19 in our county when they closed everything down. None. And for months after that, we had none. But they're closing the churches, the churches down. And we lived right, our church was right across the street from the health department. Never have a church right across the street from the health department. There was an assistant pastor who was the second highest man in the health department who was constantly getting, getting just coming at me about why we should close the church and why we should close the church. And I said, look, if you'll give me a Bible verse other than the one we ought to obey the laws of men for the Lord's sake. I believe that, but I do believe they overstepped the boundaries 
you know. And I don't mind churches shutting down, but the church ought to make that decision, not the government. That was my thing. That was my, my opinion. And people that did, I'm not, I'm not here debating right or wrong, but I did find out something. Because I finally told the man in the church, I said, if, I told the, the, the health department guy, I said, if the men of the church want to close this church, because he told me, I've been talking to some of your people and they want to close. I said, if the men of the church want to close this church, I will not fight them over that. If that's a decision they want to make. I said, but I told the men, if you do this, it comes with my resignation. I was getting ready for church on a Wednesday night. Somebody came in my office and said that the, the health department and the state and the uh, sheriff's coming tonight. I, they were either going, I don't know what they were going to do, but one person told me they were going to arrest me. The other person said they were going to give me a stay or whatever, and if I did, didn't obey that, then they were going to arrest me. And they said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm having church. <clears throat> and the men decided to close the church down. They decided because they didn't want to, they thought we were, we were being, it was a bad testimony to the community. I, I'm not going to argue right or wrong, but I did find out something. I was willing to go to jail. And I mean, look, I didn't end up going, so, you know, but I was at that point, I had no fear about going to jail at that time. Not 100% sure about who was right and who was wrong, but I do know this. I had more, Saturday morning, I showed up at a, at a friend's house. We'd closed the church, and I went to a guy's house. The next door neighbor to him was a Mormon. And that Mormon came out to me on Sunday morning. He said, well, did you close the church? I said, no, but the, the men chose to close the church. He said, I was coming to your church on Sunday. He said, our church shut down, and I wanted to be in church. He was coming that Sunday. Other, I had other people tell me that, that our church being open gave them hope in a dark day. Now, I'm, But I want you to know, you, I don't know if you'll know for sure if you're willing to go to jail until that time happens. But look, we are living in a day and age where Christianity is hated. And we need to, listen, we need to make up our minds now. Listen, if you can't live for God, I don't think you'll go to jail for him, and you won't die for him. He says, but uh, uh, some of you will be in prison. You may be tried. You shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death. Yes? Listen, we need to be faithful unto death. Even if it means we have to die, we need to be faithful, and we'll win that crown of life. Now, those four crowns, everybody can win. Every one of us in this room can win. And then there's a special crown. And a special crown is given to pastors. If you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter number uh, 5, 1 Peter chapter number 5. <clears throat> you say, well, how come, how come preachers get a special crown? If you had to deal with you folks all the time, you'd understand. <laughs> Trust me, I'm telling you what. Now, some of you are good and you don't, but uh, listen, here's a, I'll tell you a funny story. When I started living for the Lord in 1987, I'd already been saved, and I started living for the Lord in 1987, and when I started living for the Lord, I just loved my pastor. He was not a perfect man. I didn't expect him to be a perfect man, but I loved my pastor. I'd go to my pastor and I'd say, Pastor, is there anything I could do for you? I never will forget the first job he gave me to do. He said, can you clean up a shed? I said, absolutely. I'm the shed cleanest person you've ever seen in your life. And I went out and opened the door to the shed. Good night. You couldn't have stuck nothing else in there. You say, what'd you do? I rolled up my sleeves and I started taking stuff out. I got that shed cleaned up. I had stuff arranged in there. I put it all back and over here was this big pile of stuff. Preacher come out and said, how's it going? I said, got it done. He opened up and looked at it. He said, that's great. He said, what about that stuff? I said, that's just junk. I'm going to take it home and burn it. He said, now, 
We might be able to use some of that. Pick up a little old bitty piece of two by four about that. <laughs> I mean, I found out my pastor was a hoarder. You say, what'd you do? I stuck it all back in there and never volunteered to clean the shit. Again, you know? But I love my pastor. I, you know, one time I said, I went to him during a meeting. I said, Pastor, I know we're having a special meeting this week. Is there anything I can do for you? And he said, well, we like to change the evangelist's oil when they come to town. Can you change? This is back before they had all them speedy lubes everywhere, you know. He said, can you change oil? Sure can. Change. I'm, I'm just telling you, I love my pastor. I'm a people watcher. And I watch people treat my pastor. I mean, say things to him and do things to him. I came to this conclusion. A man would have to be a full-fledged idiot to be a pastor. That, that's really what I thought. And then God called me to be a pastor. And I changed my thought. Either a full-fledged idiot or God called. <laughs> but a good pastor. One thing I appreciate about you folks, I appreciate the things you have said about your pastor and the love you have for your pastor. But, and, and your pastor. And listen, uh, watch your pastor. Guard your pastor. Don't let people talk about your pastor in front of you. You know, tell them he's our pastor. And, and I mean, look, you're free to, he's not a perfect man, but he's trying his best to love the Lord and live for the Lord. And, and they do, they go through a lot. I say all that to say, the elder, he's, here's what the, Peter said, the elders which are among you, I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God. I know this, I know Brother Randy Miller feeds you the word of God. I've heard him preach enough to know that he feeds you the word of God. And you know what? You ought to be thankful. I make my boys thank their mother for preparing food. They ought to be thankful for it. And you ought to be thankful for the food that you're fed uh, from the one who loves you. He says, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. He has the oversight of the church. Listen, if it's not unbiblical, follow your pastor. The Bible talks about that in Hebrews. It says twice it tells you to obey those that have the rule over you talking about that now that's not a dictator if your pastor was to stand up in the pulpit uh, next week and and say we're having a rock band or in or something then then you know we got a problem maybe but uh, if he said let's put a pink dinosaur on the roof number one I hate pink and I wouldn't want to put a dinosaur on the roof but it's not unbiblical I'd help him put the stupid dinosaur up there and pray to get right with God and we'd take it down <laughs> listen sometimes you don't even know why he's doing what he's doing. I've had people get so mad at me for decisions I've made, and if I just had the liberty to tell them why I made that decision, it would, it would open up everything. They would completely understand, but it, by telling what was going on would, would betray a confidence in somebody, and, and trying to work these things out sometimes can be very difficult. I'm not even saying we always make the right decisions, but we're making the best decision that we can and you, he has the oversight. God has given him that. Don't be one of those churches who feel like you have to run the preacher. Feed the flock of God which among you, taking the oversight, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre. I don't believe Brother Randy Miller's here to, to become a millionaire. I could be wrong. <clears throat> if he is, you can vote him out tonight and vote me in, all right? <laughs> He's not here for the money. Good night. It's just crazy that people would even think that. But, I mean, now there are some men that are in it for the money. You see them on television. Just send me $1,000 by faith. $1,000 by faith. You know? 
I ain't sending you nothing. <clears throat> Listen, I, I know a lady that does send people money. She sends those television evangelists money, sometimes thousands of dollars. And I would tell her, they're not going to come to the hospital and visit you when you're in the hospital. They're not going to be there when you die. Listen, they're not going to be there when your children are going through a rough time. I believe, I believe in a local New Testament church and supporting your pastor. Listen, those guys, listen, some of those guys are much better speakers than some of them. They're very charismatic and very gifted, but they're using that gift for self-gain rather than for that, and that's not what a pastor should do. And, and, and one thing that I, I remind some people, some younger pastors now that I'm getting older, neither as being lords over God's heritage. Brother Randy Miller is not the Lord, but he is an example to the flock. The Apostle Paul says, as I follow Christ, you follow me. Can I put it another way? As Brother Miller follows Christ, you follow him. And we'll end up in a wonderful place. Listen, you know who takes care of the preacher when he gets out of sorts? You know whose job that is? Not yours. It's God's. And can I tell you? God can take care of his preacher. He can, he can, he can take care of it. We serve a big God. You know, I know some people say, well, God put me, put me in this church to make sure the preacher doesn't act up. You find one Bible verse that supports that. No, he didn't. God. Listen, I don't know much, but I know if God is the, shep is the, is the over-shepherd, the shepherd, and he has an under-shepherd, who is that shepherd under? He's under God. God can take care of his under-shepherds. And Brother Miller, by doing these things, can win. Listen, you know what? How many of you like for your pastor to win that? Would you raise your hand? You ought to want your pastor to win it. You can either make it easier on him or you can make it hard on him. It's up to you. Now, he's ultimately supposed to do right no matter what, but to be an encouragement and a blessing to him. These are the five rewards that are given into heaven. Let me ask you tonight in closing, are you going to win that incorruptible crown? Are you playing according to the rules or do you try to figure out how you can break them? Are you going to win that crown of rejoicing? Do you try to witness to people? And listen, doesn't necessarily mean you'll be winning them to the Lord. I uh, witnessed to a guy a couple of years ago. I witnessed to him in the driveway. Witnessed to him, came in, run into him again, had him over supper, witnessed to him. He came to church one morning and he stepped out in the aisle. He walked the aisle and Brother Benny Vanderveer took him to the back and Benny Vanderveer led him to the Lord. Uh, you know who had a part in that? I had a part in that. I didn't get to lead him to the Lord, but I count him as one of mine because I did some planting and watering and, and that. So, listen, be passing out gospel tracts. Be witness. Win that crown of, of rejoicing, that crown of righteousness, which you're looking for his appearing, that crown of life. Listen, if, you can't win the, if, you, if, you can, if you're going to win the incorruptible crown, you're going to win the crown of rejoicing, and you're going to win the crown of righteousness, I believe you'll win the crown of life. Because if you're doing those things, I believe you will be willing to go to prison. You will be willing to suffer tribulation. You will be willing to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then pray for your pastor's strength that he would be able to win that crown of life. With every head bowed and every eye closed.